morning, Kingsway. Good morning. So good to be with you today in the back even. Good day. Awesome. Gordon, congratulations. Uh, that was beautiful. Um, many of you might not know that uh, when I was a kindergartner, I used to stop at Gordon's house and the bus used to pick him up every day. And he actually uh, went all through elementary school and high school with my brother Cole. So really uh, beautiful and, and so uh, happy for you and welcome your family here today. Um, that worship was beautiful. You guys just love coming and worshiping together. Um, no matter what you're going through, what's going on in your life, it's so nice to just come and to be able to worship here together. You know, it's really special. And um, even no matter what's going on in the world, we're still able to do that. You know, I was playing Legos yesterday with my little guy, and we're about to have a battle. And he said, hold on, Daddy, I got to make a spy balloon. And I said, <laughs> I said, oh, boy. I said, this is where we're at, right? But no matter what's going on, it's great to come together and, and to be here. And it's my privilege as uh, your guest speaker today to get into God's word and um, to hear what he has to say to us today. And um, I love just being here at this church, Kingsway, where the mission is helping people find Christ and community. And I love doing that together here with you all. And um, if you're visiting today, welcome. So glad you're here. I'm glad you got a seat today. You came on an off day, but I uh, hope you stick around for some soup after. It's going to be a beautiful time. Um, the title of my message today is called Born Again. Born Again. And it, it's come from uh, some conversations I've had with people over the last little while about what it means to be a Christian. And, and um, one fellow I was talking to who wasn't a believer he uh, asked me, he said, what kind of Christian are you? And I said, man, I don't know if I've ever been asked that before. And I, I thought about it. And as I started to answer him, he said, oh, you're one of those born again. And I said, that's it. That is what kind of Christian I am. You're right. And um, as I've talked to other people, you know, about lifestyle choices and the way we live and even big issues and even smaller issues, you know, people say, well, I'm just not as serious as you. You know, I believe I'm just not as serious as you. And that strikes me, too, because I didn't know I was that serious of a guy, you know. And uh, if you know me, I like to have fun. But lately, I think I've been getting more serious with where we're at in the world and, and things. So it just had me thinking, you know, what is a Christian anymore? How many different types of Christians are there out there? And we're living in a world that likes to redefine, it's trying to redefine so many things. I think it's so important for us to be clear about what a Christian is. And we find that clear truth in the Bible, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, that today. So if you got your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Acts chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 26. And we're going to be looking at what the Bible says even about a Christian. You might be surprised to know that the word Christian is only found in the Bible three times. Three times. And uh, we're going to look at them here today. Acts eleven twenty six. I'm reading from the NLT and it says, uh, When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. 
It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. We're first called Christians in Antioch. And the word Christian, it really literally means little Christ. Little Christ. And Antioch was the biggest city in the Roman province of Syria. And Saul and Barnabas were pastors there. They just started a church there. And the people, the Romans there, they called Paul and Barnabas and the family of God there little Christians. They said, here comes those little Christ's. The, the people who talk like him and walk like him and live like him. Here come those little Christians. It almost had a derogatory sense to it because they didn't fit in with the culture and the rest of the city and did all the things they were doing. They were these little Christs walking around. And the second time we see it is in Acts 26, verse 28. Paul, he was sharing the gospel in chains. He had been arrested for, for sharing about Jesus and his testimony. And um, he was uh, speaking in front of King Agrippa. And he was saying, you know, all these things that Jesus did, they weren't done in secret. All the things the prophets said, you know about them. It's not like they've been done in a corner. And King Agrippa, he said to him, he interrupted, he said, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Right? And Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I, except for these chains, right? And so the term was becoming more well-known and more broad. People were using it, throwing it around. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, we see it, and, and Peter says, But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. And you know, so all three times they had suffering in, in all three of these comments here and all three of these verses. And, and in those days, the name Christian often was synonymous with suffering, with culture outcasts, with very often being persecuted right? They were the ones who stood out from the world. They were the ones who lived different. They were the ones who just didn't fit in. An old preacher had said that suffering and persecution is the heritage of a Christian. Um, Christians, they are classified by their behavior, how they lived, saying, no, no, I imitate my father in heaven. I don't imitate the culture or the king or the social norms. We walk a different path, right? And in a, in a brief snapshot, that's what a Christian looks like on the outside, right? Not conforming to this world around them, but conforming to Christ. And, you know, that's what it looks like on the outside. But today I'd like to focus what goes on on the inside of a Christian. What goes on on the inside? Someone who's born again. There's an old saying that going to church doesn't make you a Christian as much as standing in a garage makes you a car right? There's something that goes on on the inside, and, and that's what we want to look at today. If you'll go with me to John chapter 3, uh, John chapter 3, we're going to look at a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, a religious teacher, and Jesus had just come on the scene in his ministry, and this man Nicodemus, he was seeing all the things Jesus was doing, and he was feeling drawn to Jesus. He was thinking, you know, I've done all the ceremonies. I know all the stories. But there's something about this Jesus 
that I need to know more about. He's drawing me closer to him, and I need to know more about him. And so starting in verse 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb again to be born? Good question. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can, reduce, excuse me, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't, you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus said. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we've seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And I read that just to get to here. I can't avoid reading it. It's beautiful. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen. So uh, Nicodemus, you know, he went right for the ceremonial thing. He goes, how can I go back into my mama and be born again, Lord? He's thinking... That doesn't really compute, and that just shows, you know, where those guys were at. They're thinking, you know, what ceremony can I do? What thing can I read or what course can I take that I can be right with God, that I can experience his, his presence? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is, this is a deeper thing. This is a spiritual thing. And even you teachers of religious law, you won't understand yet, right? And then the point of the story of that is that we don't want to be just a religious people. We want to be a reborn people. We want to experience Christ's life in us. There's an old uh, evangelist named Reinhard Bunke, and he used to say, Christianity is the only religion in the world where the God comes down and lives in the person, right? And that is part of when we become Christians, we have God's spirit comes down and it makes us alive, it makes us alive. You know, I remember, you know, this might sound funny, but I remember when I was dead. I remember when I was dead and my life was bleak and gray. When I, when I think back, I remember it was just gray, you know, and I was far from the Lord, but something in me knew I needed to get to him. I just didn't know how, you know, and it was actually a Sunday morning and I was, I was by myself, and I remember just feeling so sad and empty. And all of a sudden, I felt God's presence come into my life. I didn't know the words to say or what to do, but I felt him in such a real way. I was reborn. I felt the presence of God in my life. And that was just a starting point for me. So we want to be a people who are reborn. Jesus, you know, 
he gives our condition straight. You know, you know when you get some news from the doctor and you say, Doc, just give it to me straight. You know, Jesus, he would already give it to you straight before you asked. He was perfect like that in talking to people. And he told the religious teachers, he said, you guys look great on the outside, but you're whitewashed tombs. Man, he was saying, you might look good on the outside. You might do all the right things, but inside you're dead. You're dead. And for us people who follow Christ, when we give our lives to him, he comes in and he makes us alive. He makes us alive. So how are we born again? Matthew 3.11 says, I baptize with water. John the Baptist saying this. I baptize those who repent of their sins with water and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire and with fire. You know, we've been talking about baptism. We've seen some beautiful baptisms and Mark and, and Becky have been teaching about baptisms and they've talked about the immersion that takes place and that's what this signif- uh, is representative of we get immersed in the water and it's representing what's going on in us we're getting immersed in God's spirit we're getting soaked and saturated from him we're new again right we've become alive in acts 2:37 it says this now when they heard this they were cut to the heart Peter was talking to people about Jesus, and they said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do now that we've had this information that's really touched us? You know, these words that that we've heard from the Bible, have been spoken, they've touched us. What do we do? Where do we go from here? And Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, and to all who are far, who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. So this promise is to you and your children, and to all who are afar off. Turn to your neighbor and say, "That's us. That's us. Good talk. Good talk. That's us. That's us." And that promise for them is still the exact same for us. It's a gift. It's a gift, this Holy Spirit. And I wanted to point out a word here, remission. Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You know, I got a, I got a dictionary picture up. We're going old school here, I guess, today. Remission is a really fascinating word to me. And it says it's the cancellation of a debt, charge, or penalty. And it also says it's a diminution of the seriousness or intensity of disease or pain. And down here, of course, we see it's a forgiveness of sin. And all these are tied together. All these work together. And you know, anyone here who's ever loved or known anyone with cancer, remission is a great word. Remission is a great word. And I'm reminded that when I read this, that cancer excuse me, that sin is the cancer of the soul. We're all born with it, and it's terminal. It's that serious. And just as the world would be ecstatic in celebrating a complete cure for cancer, Jesus came, 
and broke the power of sin and death over us as a complete and total cure and salvation for our souls. And just as you would take something by faith and being told it would be a complete, total cure for cancer, we take Jesus by faith, knowing he is the complete and total salvation our soul needs. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good talk. Good point, Zach. Oh, I'm losing my thing here. (laughs) Amen. Um, In Acts chapter 3, again, it says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. From the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. You know, I tried to ask this question last night, and I just laughed because I feel like it's so crazy. But who here could use times of refreshment, right? It's almost like, uh, of course we could. We are so pushed to the brink, it seems, these days with everything in our lives. We're so busy. Refreshment is, is not something that we um, have, I think, lately. And the Bible tells us here, and I believe the only place we're going to find refreshment is with the presence of God in our life. That's the only time we're going to find it. And how do we have it? We repent. We turn to him. He wipes our sins away. And we have times of refreshing comes into our life. And we need that so much um, these days. It's God's presence that changes us, that empowers us to stand in the wicked day to resist evil, to love our enemies, to suffer for doing good, to have victory over sin in our lives, to share the gospel with a dying world. It's by him and him alone that he empowers us to do these things, and it's a gift for those of us who have repented and turned to him. It's a gift. I have to read this because anyone here been doing the, um, the New Testament reading? Uh, this year, so three. Looking good. Now there we go. Awesome. So, anyways, we read this week a Matthew twenty-seven fifty. It's incredible. I just had to read it, and um, so here we go. It says, "Then Jesus shouted again." Jesus on the cross right now. Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, the earth shook and the rocks split apart and tombs were open and the bodies of many godly men and women who have died were raised from the dead. Isn't that incredible? I feel like we never talk about that as much and maybe you do and I'm not there. I don't know, but I was just like, man, that's so crazy. And it's so important for us to remember that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, We have access to God's presence in our life. You don't have to be a priest or a pastor. That curtain, when it tore, it signified that there was nothing separating us now from God's presence in our life, right? And I love, too, how there was an earthquake and the rock split. You know, when the presence of God comes into your life, man, it shakes you up. You're thinking, this either there's a God or I'm crazy. And I know there's a God because I feel him and it's changing your life. And the rocks split, you know, the hard places in your mind and in your heart, they begin to break up and God softens your heart. 
And I love this. And it says, you know, godly men and women were just raised to life, you know, and that's what happens to us. We were dead and now we're alive. We become alive. And like I said, I can vouch for that. I remember being there and I remember coming to life, thank God. Second Corinthians, it says, uh, chapter 517, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I think sometimes we have a tough time with this. And sometimes with people I talk to, it's, it's hard to understand that we have a new life in Christ. And, you know, many who are, are come to know the Lord when they're adults, they have a whole life yet, a whole life that they've lived, you know, and, and some, some chains and some, some thoughts and everything, it's hard to let go of. It's hard to believe that God has said, I, I've made you new. I've, I've given you a new identity, right? And we have to believe that. We have to say, you know what? That might have been true of me before, but that's not true of me anymore. And that doesn't mean pretending that you didn't have a life before you became a Christian. It's your life and your attitude moving forward that's important. God is for us. He's for you. He's rooting for you. He says, man, I've separated. I don't think he said man, but he said, I separated my sin as far from the east as to the west, he says. He's given us a new identity from a rebel to a child now, from an offender to his beloved now. This is what he says. You know, he's given us every provision in his word to be overcomers, right? It's so important to read this book. And it's not how you start. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. He wants us all to finish strong, right? And, And come on in and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the joy of your Lord. So we're uh, dead to our sin, and we're alive with Christ. So if you're here today, and you're struggling with sin, with a specific sin in your life, I would say to you, you know what you say? You say, nope, I'm dead to that. That's the idea, right? I'm dead to that. And when those thoughts, if you have trouble with thoughts and everything, you refuse to say, you know what? I'm dead to that. That might have been true about me one time, but it's not true about me anymore. I'm alive in Christ, and it's now him living in me. You know, I heard something beautiful the other day that Jesus, he was the, we know that he was the word incarnate and somebody said he was truth incarnate. I was like, man, that's amazing. You know, when, when we have his word in us and his thoughts become our thoughts, man, we're, we're living, you know, because we see the truth about every situation in our life. It's a beautiful thing. Um, Romans 6, 4 says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. 
And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. So we die to that part of ourselves. We die to ourselves and we pick up our cross and we live for Christ by God's grace. There is an awareness. You know, there's a point where we've made a conscious decision. We've made a commitment. We've, we've felt the goodness of the Lord. We've felt the kindness of the Lord. And, and we've, we've experienced it. And we say, okay, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming your way. I'm, I'm committing my life to you. You know, we read in Joshua in the Old Testament where the Israelites were really getting off the rails. They were living in crazy sin, worshiping idols, idolatry. It was, it was getting out of hand. And Joshua said, you know what? Everybody, you go ahead. If that's the way you want to live, if that's the way you want to be, you go ahead. But me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He said, go ahead. Choose this day, though, what you're going to do. Because me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And often we have to make that commitment and, and decision in our life. You know what? I've seen God's goodness. But and regardless of all the stuff happening around me, I will serve God today. I will serve God today. And so we have a beautiful thing when we have a new birth. And I want you to know, when you're born again, all these beautiful things, it's not a destination. Getting saved, becoming a Christian, being born again, it's not a destination. As much as a new baby birth is not a destination. It's just the beginning of a beautiful and long journey. First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, Like newborn babies... You must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now, bless you, now that you have tasted the Lord's kindness. You know, when that happened to me and I felt the Lord touch me, it was beautiful. And then I was still living my life. And I still had to wake up tomorrow and decide how I was going to live and how I was going to be. And when that happens, it's so important for us to crave God's word, that spiritual milk, the Bible says. In the NIV, it says, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. When you're born again, you need to grow up in your salvation. The way we do that is by strengthening through God's word in our life. And this is so, so key. We don't want to miss this. And we don't want to skip this, okay? Um, many of you know um, my beautiful baby girl, Hallie. She's four years old. When she was born, she spent the first 80 days of her life um, in McMaster Hospital. She was born with um, pretty severe complication in her um, intestine. And it's actually beautiful because she came home on family day uh, four years ago. So I'm just so happy that... She you know, to be sharing this and, and that she's home and it's all good. But it was not good at the beginning. And she needed um, a surgery. And she did not eat for the first month of her life. You could imagine a newborn baby not eating for the first month of her life. And she had uh, intervenous hooked up that was giving her kind of an artificial nourishment, right? Some vitamins and minerals. And she was not growing. She was not eating. 
She was just not able to digest. And after a month went on, we had a meeting with the doctors, and they came in and they said, you know, there's something that's called um, failure to thrive. And we thought, no, 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 no. We can't do that. <laughs> and uh, she needed another surgery. And so we thought, uh, sorry, I looked at my wife and it threw me. But anyways, <laughs> she wasn't here last night. It was good. But uh, anyways, so we didn't want another surgery. They had the surgery and fixed her up. And after she recovered from that, man, she was hungry. She was violently hungry. And because she hasn't, uh, wasn't able to eat for a month, she could only have a one milliliter drop for every meal. And the meals were many, but she, could, she started little. And I remember holding this five-pound baby in my hand with a little syringe of milk, like a little bird, you know. And she slowly got bigger and bigger and stronger. And now she'll eat a steak, you know what I mean? She's... <laughs> She's giving her, you know, and, and that's a picture of us as newborns. You know, when, when we're born again, we need that milk. We need it so bad. We need it to grow. We need it to thrive, okay? We need it to thrive, and that artificial stuff was actually going to damage her internal organs, okay? It, it's not a sustainable way to live, and there's so many things in our lives that we could relate that to, you know? that we, we, we turn to instead of the Word of God, whether it's, you know, even diet and exercise is a big thing that, that has a special place definitely in our life, but not for our spiritual life. There are self-help books, excuse me, self-help books and courses we can do. That is not the same, okay? After a while, that's not going to do it. We're not going to thrive. We only need God's word as the spiritual milk that is going to help us grow and help us to thrive. And after a while, we move our way up to meat. We can wait longer between meals. We think and, you know, digest it longer. And, but no matter where you're at, don't think for a second that you can go without eating this book, Okay, if I was to not do it, I would be starving in days. And I have felt it. And I bet you many of here have felt it when you haven't picked up your Bible for a few days. You feel it. You feel that hunger start to grow. You feel you're you're not thriving like you usually are. And we can't replace it with anything. Okay, you can pretend for a little while, but you will not be like those trees planted by streams of living water, who bears fruit in every season and whose leaf never withers. So I just want to finish with this today, walking it out. What's it look like walking out? I think I got a pick, maybe. No, not the one, but anyways, all good. (laughs) Oh, there it is. That's my brother Matt Rosan's baby picture up there, but... (laughs) Anyways, that's who we want to be, all right? We want to be these babies getting into this milk. And, you know... Once a baby starts getting strong enough, they, tar- they start taking steps, don't they? It's my favorite part of having a baby. It's because it's, that's when they realize they got a daddy. You know, this whole other time I've just been the smiley guy and they've had their mama. But they start taking steps and, and they start coming to data now. And my wife, she says, that's a switch over, you know. It's like they don't even, they don't even got a mama after that, except when they need anything, when they need to eat, when they need, you know, then they got a mama, but... And our spiritual life is like that. When we get strong enough, we start taking steps. And those steps are steps of obedience. When we've been reading God's word and getting into his spiritual milk and growing, 
Now we have to take steps to continue to grow. There's this song that I love lately, and it's called Good Shepherd, and it says, you know, the foot place, I'm not going to sing it, the foothills are no place for me anymore. Even broken feet could not keep me from seeking the one who faced death out of love for me. You said, follow me, so I'm following. You know, and I pray that God puts a hunger in all of our hearts to know, even though we're broken, even though we're starting from a place that is, the, the song says, the foothills, the low places, that we would say, I'm going to follow you, God. I've seen your goodness. I've realized that you faced death out of love for me. You said, follow me, so I'm going to follow you. There's an obedient element to this, to this Christian walk. You know, the Lord says, follow me. I took my kids to the mall the other day, and I was saying, you know, follow me. You know, don't go over here. Don't fall down the escalator. You know, don't walk over here. You got to stay close. And they don't know, right? They don't know. They're just babies. And watch out. This car is going to come, right? And it's the same in our spiritual life. God directs us by the Holy Spirit. He, by obedience, we say, yes, Lord, I will walk over here. Yes, Lord, I will stop doing this. Yes, Lord, I will. Yes, Lord, I will. And it's a, it's a obedient life that we start to cultivate by these steps. And Everybody has a next step, whether this is your first day or you've been doing this for years, everybody has a next step. And maybe it's having a conversation. Maybe it's just being honest with somebody. Maybe it's asking for prayer. Maybe it's finally committing yourself to the Lord, or maybe it's finally getting rid of that secret sin in your life that's been holding you down and be free once and for all. You know, for mature Christians, maybe it's taking that time now to pray, to fast, maybe starting a small group, maybe reaching out to the uh, unbelievers or, or even new believers, you know. Maybe it's finally having those conversations that we know that we should be having with people, you know. The better that we can step along, the more we'll see God move and work through us in our own lives. And... Um, I think that's so important for us. And I think often we, we find ourselves standing still. And I think it's important to think about how long have we been standing still for? Because often there'll be something in our life God put on our heart to do that we're not doing it. And our walk ends up being a standstill. And I just want to encourage you, whatever that is, and I pray that God put on your heart that next step you got to take in your walk with him to grow and to thrive, that you would take it that you would take it. You know, there's um, an event happening right now in Kentucky, and they're calling it a revival, a university auditorium. been packed with people in, in the presence of God. People have been worshiping for 11 straight days now, and I love to see it. And, and I think it started from people who just started taking steps towards God and said, you know what? And they started running towards God, and they, sat, they said, no matter the inconvenience, no matter what people might think, I am going to seek the God. I'm going to seek God with my whole heart. I want more of Him. I, I don't care what gets in my way. I'm I'm coming. I'm coming, and he, and they end up running. And and now we're seeing a lineup to get in the place. You know, I believe that when people get hungry enough and set out to meet the Lord, He comes and He meets you. He meets you, and that can happen in an auditorium of thousands, or that can happen alone in your basement. Okay, it's our heart that he's after. And 
What's stopping us? What's stopping us from saying, God, God, I'm, I'm coming, God, and taking those steps of obedience and faith towards him, right? You know, I was having a great convo the other day with somebody, and I said, you know what, just cry out to God. They didn't know where to go. I said, you know, pray to God. You know, when, when something about when we, feel far from, when we feel far from God, that cry that we make, man, it's so loud, I think, to him. And he comes, and he comes, right? And it's a beautiful thing. We never want it to end, and it never does. It never does. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for each person to come through the doors here today. Every soul that's come in here, God, you love and you've called, Lord, out of darkness to be in your glorious light, God. I pray that each one here, Lord, would draw near to you. As you say, God, you will draw near to us, God. I pray that we will continue to take steps of obedience and faith in you, God, that we will get immersed in your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that we will read this book as our spiritual milk and meat, God, that would sustain us no matter what comes, that we would be a people who thrive, God, not just live or alive, that we would thrive and we would be fruitful, God. And thank you, Lord, that it's all from you, Jesus. It's all from you. We could do nothing to earn any of this, God. It's a beautiful gift, that we have only to receive, Lord. I just thank you for this community and these people, Lord. Would we continue to be a shining light wherever we go? Would you give us um, boldness, God, to speak about you, God, to point people towards you, God? And uh, we ask that um, you continue to work in us, Lord, that you would continue to revive us, Lord, inside, God, that we would walk in a way that's worthy of the calling of you, God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.